Uh, Our scripture reading uh, for tonight comes from Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 1, 1 through 6 says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Would you pray with me? Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, asking that you would teach us what it means to be blessed. Lord God, that you would uh, draw us in uh, to your understanding, uh, to the wisdom that you are willing to give. And God, that you would teach us Teach us from your word as we sit at your feet to hear what it means to flourish as a human being in this broken world. God, that you would help us to understand things as you see them from your perspective, from a kingdom perspective, as we continue our study through the Sermon on the Mount tonight. God, would you bless us? We pray in Jesus' name. Oddly enough, uh, that was the we looked at the last passage last week. Uh, this week, we will look at the first passage of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. Uh, the Beatitudes, as they have come to be called, make up the first passage in the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll remember that the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew's Gospel, And Matthew strongly implies that Jesus, as he ascends the mount to sit with his disciples in the crowds, uh, he speaks as both king and philosopher. Again, Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, so this teaching on the mountain is meant to parallel Uh, The event in the Old Testament where Moses is on Mount Sinai in the presence of God, receiving the law of God, and then turns around and delivers it to God's people. Jesus' target audience is both the disciples and the crowd who sit around Jesus, hanging on his every word. And we'll see why in this beautiful passage called the Beatitudes. So let's look together at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 2 and making our way down to verse 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12, say this. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The king philosopher characterizes his citizen students with eight macarisms. That's a new word, right? One you can add to your dictionary. Macarisms. The king philosopher characterizes his citizen students with eight macarisms. The Beatitudes got their name from, an actually, actually it's the Latin word uh, from, uh, that was translated from the original Greek, and the Greek word there for blessed that we see repeated in the Beatitudes is the Greek word makarios. Makarios is the word that can be translated blessed, or in some of your translations, it may have said happy, uh, or fortunate, or flourishing. So a makarism is a makarios statement, a blessed statement that ascribes happiness or flourishing to a particular person or state of being. A macarism is a makarios or a blessed statement that ascribes happiness or flourishing to a particular person or state of being. And we saw an example of this in our scripture reading tonight, back in Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The psalmist tells us that this man is to be considered blessed. Not because he is special and that he has God's favor, but that he has a, a way of living that is to be commended. He is blessed because he refuses to sit with those who are wicked. And he pursues a delight in the law of the Lord. It's commendable. And then we see, again, here in the Beatitudes, a strong series of macarisms. We see a pattern in these macarisms, don't we? Blessed are the dot, 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 for they shall dot, dot, dot. But this isn't a suggested way to earn God's favor. These aren't requirements to enter into the kingdom or promises when you're going through a difficult time. A macarism, one of these blessed statements, is a pronouncement based on observation, something that is to be noticed, that a certain way of being in the world produces human flourishing. It is a declaration of somebody noticing something special about the way another person is living because it's producing human flourishing. How strange, then, 
how strange that Jesus would list eight undesirable characteristics of his citizen students in a state of human flourishing. The poor in spirit. It is not enjoyable to be poor in spirit. This is to be impoverished in a spiritual substance. The poor have empty pockets. The poor in spirit have empty souls. They cannot afford joy, gladness, peace, or contentment. Those who mourn. No one desires an occasion for mourning. The grieving process is inconvenient, exhausting, uncomfortable, intrusive, and terribly sad. Our heart aches with emotions that we didn't even know we were capable of. The meek. Meek people were not esteemed in the days of old. They were trampled upon. No one likes being taken advantage of, but the meek might as well expect it. To think that they would inherit anything other than oppression or abuse is quite strange. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst are virtually ghosts in this day and age. They haunt us when we periodically sleep in or work through a meal, but even then, they're momentary, they're a momentary annoyance. Not the long, unavoidable pain experienced by those in severe poverty, whether past or present. Then imagine that pain being directed towards something like righteousness, which is incredibly scarce in society today, like food and water in a desert land. The merciful. It is normal for an offender of the law to desire mercy, but to be a victim who is committed to showing mercy to their offender seems foolish and unnecessary. What sane person would incline themselves toward the tender side of justice? Why waste your emotional energy to show compassion on those who will more than likely take it for granted? The pure in heart. Now, pure in heart seems to be the only straightforward, desirable aspiration. We would all agree that we could benefit from our neighbor pursuing a pure heart. But what good does it actually do me? I'd rather concern myself with what people see me doing than to focus on my hidden intentions and my twisted desires. The peacemakers. The only people who like peacemakers are other peacemakers. Most of us thoroughly enjoy our conflicts and grudges. Every Hamilton has his burr. We both have strong personalities, is what we say to justify our hatred towards another. 
The quarrel makes us stronger. Peace is for the weak who are forced to surrender. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Obviously, being persecuted is awful. One can hardly speak about it because the goal of the one doing the persecuting is silence by any means necessary. Possessions are taken. Labor is forced. Family harassed, assaulted even. Body broken and bruised. Life snuffed out. What a stunning list to characterize human flourishing. It demands an explanation, doesn't it? So, the king philosopher explains how his citizen students truly flourish. The king philosopher explains how his citizen students truly flourish. It's at this moment that we need to kind of iron out some of the the English translation here. Uh, Blessed obviously has some connotations in our hashtag blessed culture. So I would instead use the word flourishing to clarify what Jesus means in these macarisms. But another part of the pattern is the, the four that connects the characteristic to the following privilege. And because there is such a stark contrast between the undesirable characteristics and the beautiful privileges that we're about to see, we would be better served by the word because to link the first part of each macarism with the second. With each macarism, Jesus is explaining how his citizen students truly flourish. So let's go back through these real quick. The poor in spirit will possess the kingdom of heaven. Citizen students flourish in their spiritual poverty because they belong in the kingdom of heaven. Spiritual substance may evade them at the present, but they grow increasingly aware of their spiritual state. At the same time, they can begin to grasp everlasting joy and gladness and peace and contentment that are theirs in the coming kingdom. Flourishing are the poor in spirit because they will possess the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn will be comforted. Citizen students flourish in their mourning because they will be comforted. When moments or even seasons of grief are thrust upon them, the comfort experienced in the midst of that trial is something truly special. Yes, it is inconvenient. It is exhausting. It is uncomfortable. It is intrusive. It is sad. But the affection and the attention they receive from those who are quick and genuine to love is to be treasured. 
This serves as a preview to the eternal comfort that awaits them in the coming kingdom where loss is never felt and love is constant. Flourishing are those who mourn because they will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. Citizen students flourish in their meekness because they will inherit all the land. Those who are oppressed and abused will stand over the ones who physically, mentally, and emotionally manipulated them all their lives. And they will stand with power and authority from on high. Their humility is their greatest strength because they've learned all their lives how not to treat their fellow man. They inherit the land because they know what it takes to make it a land worth inheriting. Flourishing are the meek because they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Citizen students flourish and their hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. Loud are their cries for justice. Many are their ideas for restoration. Passion fills their lungs. Creativity fills their minds. Why? Because there is a pain that swells as life goes on. Things are not as they should be. But the pain finds alleviation and an increasing hope. Righteousness is coming one person at a time as the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to all who would believe. Until one day when his kingdom comes in full and there is perfect justice and complete restoration. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. The merciful will receive mercy. Citizen students flourish in their mercy because they will receive mercy. Their commitment to show mercy isn't all for naught. The compassion they were so willing to show is returned to them over and over and over again. It is possible that their offender took their pity for granted. But what mercy was given was valued by someone far greater. The king philosopher who was at one time offended is very pleased. Flourishing are the merciful because they will receive mercy. The pure in heart will see God. Citizen students flourish in their purity of heart because they will see God. The pure in heart do not concern themselves with how others view them. They are far more concerned about the impurities that originate inside themselves and plot to destroy their heart. 
It's a difficult work to weed out the evil in one's own heart. Yet these are the ones who will be welcomed into the inner courts of the king philosopher and see him face to face. Flourishing are the pure in heart because they will see God. The peacemakers will be called sons of God. Citizen students flourish in their peacemaking because they will be called sons of God. The peacemakers make peace with their enemies. But not only that, they make peace even when the conflict isn't their own. They draw out the poison from bites and wounds that those Because they know God desires all his children to get along. How fitting it is that those who see others as their brothers and sisters are the ones to be called sons of God. They are called such in the same way that people recognize others as being like their parents. These sons of God are like God in that they make peace. Flourishing are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. And lastly, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake will possess the kingdom of heaven. Citizen students flourish in their persecution for righteousness' sake because they will possess the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness is blinding. And those who are persecuted for being noticeably different in terms of holiness will only become brighter as they grab hold of the coming kingdom. With every act of persecution committed against them, more ground is covered in the advancement of God's kingdom. Their righteousness blends evermore with the root of their righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ in all his perfection and all his glory. Flourishing are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake because they will possess the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus expounds upon this characteristic in particular, telling those who would become his citizen students that persecution is coming should they follow the life and teachings of the king philosopher. But even in being insulted and tormented, cussed out and slandered, Jesus tells his would-be citizen students to rejoice, be glad in the reward that awaits them in glory, as well as the company that has gone before them. The prophet Jeremiah was flogged. The prophet Zechariah was stoned. The prophet Isaiah was said to have been sawed in half. It's worth noting that the reward is not founded upon how gruesome the persecution is, but in how good our God is to bestow grace upon grace upon grace. 
the same disciples who sat at the feet of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount would be beaten a few years later for proclaiming the coming kingdom. Acts 5, 41 tells us, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Fast forward to today, the year 2020. A report was recently released showing that more than 1,200 Christians in Nigeria have been murdered in the first half of this year alone. The numbers of believers that are slaughtered by Islamic terrorist groups like the Muslim Fulani herdsmen continues to grow. The report says hundreds of Christian worship and learning centers have been destroyed or burnt. Likewise, thousands of dwelling houses, farmlands, and other properties belonging to Christians. The report continues and warrants that there have been a marked increase in child abductions, particularly of females, fueling concern about the proliferation of the sex trade. This is persecution. This is persecution. Our brothers and sisters in Nigeria need our prayers. And yet, at the same time, we can trust that they are flourishing for righteousness' sake because they will possess the kingdom of heaven. Do you see it? These macarisms are proclamations of a state of flourishing, not pronouncements of what to do and be to enjoy God's flavor favor. These statements should serve as an invitation, not as a checklist. Please don't make it that. The king philosopher invites his hearers to adopt his kingdom perspective and become citizen students. The king philosopher invites his hearers to adopt his kingdom perspective and become citizen students. One commentator writes, Jesus is offering a vision for a way of being in the world that will result in true flourishing, precisely in the context of forward-looking faith in God, eventually setting all things right. But if we're honest, we like our own way of attempting to flourish in this broken world. We believe that a spouse will right every wrong. We're looking for that new promotion to give us that next hit of happiness. We're hoping that once we get that place of our own, then we'll truly experience freedom. 
Once we get so-and-so elected, then we'll be secure again. If we pursue the same ways of flourishing as this world, we have no right to be surprised when we find ourselves just as disappointed. Our perspective is warped. Let's return it and get a new one, a true one. We would be wise to adopt Jesus' kingdom perspective and truly flourish as it increasingly becomes our reality. We would be wise to adopt Jesus' kingdom perspective and truly flourish as it increasingly becomes our reality. Jesus' preaching ministry can be summed up in one phrase. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Repent, turn from your sin, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As Christians, we don't just hope that that kingdom comes. Uh, We're instructed later in the Sermon on the Mount to pray for the kingdom to come. As Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is coming. One person at a time, one prayer at a time. We would be wise to adopt the kingdom perspective that Jesus presents to us in the Beatitudes because it is increasingly becoming our reality. One person at a time, one prayer at a time. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand.